Welcome to a podcast for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Dr. Kelly Tappenden. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of JPEN and the Kraft Foods Human Nutrition Endowed Professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana. My guest today is Dr. Allard, who is Professor of Medicine at the University of Toronto. And what we'll be talking about is a paper entitled The Prescription of Trace Elements in Adults on Home Parenteral Nutrition, Current Practices Based on the Canadian Home Parenteral Nutrition Registry that was published in the May 2013 issue of JPEN. Welcome, Dr. Allard. Thank you. I will start by congratulating you on your leadership with the Canadian Home Parenteral Nutrition Registry. Given the limited data that we have regarding so many aspects of patients receiving home parenteral nutrition, the Canadian Registry certainly leads the way providing insight into clinical practice and outcomes with these patients. So when you consider the data that's available within the registry, this work that we'll talk about today focuses on the prescription of trace elements. So tell us, why were you interested in looking at current practices regarding this specific component of parenteral nutrition? Well, we, we have used the registry to look at uh, practice for other uh, issues in the home TPN uh, population. So for this particular paper, we were interested to look at uh, trace element practice because in Canada, the trace elements are prescribed generally with an all-inclusive commercial type of multi-trace element admixture, and there's uh, very little uh, flexibility. So when we had our home TPN workshop where all the programs in Canada meet, uh, we discussed this issue and we were wondering whether this was a good idea considering that the home TPN population is very heterogeneous. And so we wanted to look at the registry and all the data that we uh, had in, uh, collected and see whether there was any difference in the practice of prescribing trace elements. So this is how it started. Very good. So tell us about your methodology. What did you do to acquire these data? So with the uh, Home TPN registry, we ask the programs who are interested to participate to enter patient data. So they do enter the patient demography, their anatomy indications for TPN, the details of their TPN prescriptions, which include macro and micronutrients, and then, of course, uh, various type of outcomes and uh, blood biochemistry and uh, so on. So, so we've been doing this now for at least five, six years. And so we do have not only cross-sectional data, but also prospective cohort data because we repeat these measurements every two years or so. Very good. So tell us about your results. What did you find? So here what we did is that uh, we asked the question uh, whether or, you know, what was the trace element supplementation uh, practice, and we had five home TPN programs participating in this. So it was a retrospective review of the Canadian Home Parental Nutrition Registry, and we we had a total of uh, 135 uh, patients where we had complete uh, records, including trace element prescriptions. So then we uh, look at uh, all these patients and we looked at the way trace elements were prescribed and the amount, and we compared that to current guidelines. 
as well as we looked at their, you know, their various specific nutrients. So not only it was the commercial product, but it was also the specific amount of each uh, trace elements. And then we look at that and uh, we collected the data and did some statistics. To tell us your results, what did you find? So what we found is that some of these trace elements were actually above uh, the guidelines. So the zinc, for example, uh, exceeded the aspirin and the AMA recommendations, and the manganese and copper also exceeded the aspirin guidelines. Those are the guidelines from 2002, not the most recent one that were recently published. And uh, selenium also exceeded the uh, aspirin guidelines, and the other trace elements the chromium and iodine were within the requirements. So that kind of raised a little bit of an alarm because we were saying, well, you know, a lot of these patients actually receive more than what was recommended. So then we asked the second question. We said, well, okay, let's look now at whether or not it makes a difference depending on the anatomy or the indication for parental nutrition. And so we compared then patients who had short bowel syndrome to those who did not have short bowel syndrome, or we looked at those who were NPO or very little oral intake compared to those who had dietary intake, and we actually didn't find a difference. So patients underlying anatomy or indication for parental nutrition, they did not significantly influence the decision regarding the supplementation. And this, of course, again, is not surprising because most of these programs use a commercial multi-trace element admixture, so everybody gets the same thing. So this, again, is important because looking at what we're giving to the patient, which exceed the recommendations, and looking also at the anatomy and the indication for parental nutrition, not making a difference in the prescription of trace elements, I think raise an issue about looking at this more in details and perhaps prescribe individual trace elements depending on the situation. This is very interesting. So the take-home that I'm hearing is that When prescribing, our clinicians are not taking into account the underlying anatomy or the PN indication among patients, but they're also over-prescribing or administering zinc, manganese, selenium, and copper, but not chromium and iodine. So with this information in mind, tell me, is it that the current formulations that we have are not appropriately balanced based on the current guidelines, so they're too high in things like zinc and manganese, or is it that our prescribers are not paying close enough attention to the guidelines? Is it a prescriber problem or a formulation problem? Well, I think it's both, actually. Uh, First, you have to work with what is available. And in Canada, in many programs, it's a um, commercial multi-trace element product. And then, uh, of course, you have to look at contracts. So some programs have a specific contract using a specific formulation. And so they have no choice. They have to use that. And when they have to use trace element individually, it's more expensive because it's more expensive to put in the home TPN bag separately uh, compared to a commercial product. So there's that. And also the other thing that you mentioned is the guidelines. 
So I think that uh, most people may not pay as much attention to the guidelines about the trace elements as they would pay attention to guidelines about caloric intake or macronutrient uh, requirements uh, or indications for TPN, for example. So I think the problem is both. Very good. Now, are you aware of toxicities that have happened in any of these patients? Do you have data? So when we looked at this, uh, we then raised the issue of whether or not the manganese content of the prescription was really an issue. Because when you look at the paper, the average uh, manganese that is prescribed is around uh, 450 microgram. And the recommendation, at least based on the Aspen 2002 guidelines, is between 60 and 100 micrograms. So we were really concerned about this. And we decided to look at our programs. And uh, when we looked at these five programs in terms of the amount of manganese they were giving to patients, there was a wide range uh, for uh, these patients. So there was a wide range of manganese prescription in terms of content. So then we look at one specific program and we decided to do a cross-sectional study looking at the manganese deposition in the basal ganglion using an MRI assessment. And as well, we wanted to look at the manganese content in their TPN and also in their whole blood. So we did this cross-sectional study in one program. And if I'm correct, that paper is currently published online in JPEN and will be appearing in a coming issue. Is that correct? Yes, 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 exactly. And what we found in that study is that in that sample of convenience of 16 patients, the program has about 50, 55 patients in their uh, uh, in their program. So 16 patients were assessed, and what we found is that about 80% of these patients had high signals on T1 weighted images, and we assumed that these images are manganese deposits, and this was in their basal ganglia. And among these patients, two were actually having clinical diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And in other patients, there were some uh, neuropsychiatric complaints, such as uh, depression, lack of concentration, memory disturbances, and gait instability. And we assessed this by doing a questionnaire as well as a physical examination. Fascinating. So certainly underscoring the importance of making sure that these prescriptions are carefully considered. Oh, absolutely. And since then, uh, actually, we, what we did is we uh, sent a notice to all uh, the home TPN programs to really look into their manganese prescription. And we actually suggested that they remove manganese from their TPN and to monitor whole blood manganese once or twice a year. Because there is, as you know, some uh, reports that there are contaminants in the home TPN solutions and there is some manganese already that is part of the home TPN solution. So these patients may not necessarily need the uh, additional supplementation of manganese. So it's important to monitor uh, this or at least really to follow the guidelines. And in the patient population that showed the position of manganese in the basal ganglia, we will certainly repeat the MRI, but we will probably do that in five years because it may take some time before 
we see a change, and in uh, there are some case reports that reported a reduction in the manganese and basal ganglia, but in others it remains. So we will have to see what uh, what happens. Very good. You know, it strikes me as ironic that we're having this conversation uh, given the time where we're dealing with such IV electrolyte and mineral shortages in the U.S. Uh, is that the same in Canada? Are you currently dealing with shortages? Oh, absolutely. Over the past few years, we have dealt with many shortages, and uh, it has been quite a challenge to meet the requirements uh, for uh, patients in terms of micronutrients, particularly vitamins and uh, trace elements, for sure. And how do you and your colleagues deal with shortages in your practice? What is your specific approach? So what we do is it's really a multidisciplinary approach because you have to work very closely with pharmacy as well as industry because they're the ones, you know, the providers, they're the ones providing the TPN solutions to the patients. So they usually what they do is they do, they do have now a protocol where they will let us know quite in advance that this is coming so that we have a system in place uh, to address the problem. So, for example, uh, they will let us know that they have a certain stock left of zinc, which is the current problem, uh, and that they will let us know in advance, several, you know, several months in advance, and we already try to reduce uh, zinc to really the at least the minimal requirement because some of our patients receive zinc in uh, higher content as we demonstrated in uh, one of our paper where we showed that people uh, receive zinc higher than the recommended uh, dosage but in some of these patients they have high output fistula or excess losses and they may require more zinc but at least they will receive the minimum requirement so we try to be proactive and they will tell us in advance so that we can really look at our population and at least reduce the dosage and in some instances, like it happened with selenium, we had to give it every other day uh, until uh, the end of the shortage. So this is usually what uh, we do. Excellent recommendations, Dr. Allard. In addition to what you've said, I do want to alert our listeners to the Aspen homepage www.nutritioncare.org where additional recommendations regarding parenteral nutrition trace element product shortage considerations can be found. Dr. Allard, thank you so very much for your time today and sharing your knowledge gained from the uh, Canadian Registry on this issue. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. For more information or to view this article, please visit us at jpen.sagepub.com.